Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Hello, good morning everyone. It's, uh, it's really good to see you today. And um, yeah, it's great news about Premier House, isn't it, across the road. And you know, you know sometimes um, God's just up to stuff and he kind of brings all these different roads and these different avenues together. And that's definitely been the story of that, which is absolutely fantastic. You know, today as we, uh, we open up the scriptures, the word of God, I believe that God wants to kind of draw different avenues together as well into your life. And he wants to uh, bring together the stuff that he is up to in your life and the stuff that he says in God's word together through his Holy Spirit. And I believe that he wants to just bring Bring transformation in your heart today. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you're, you are ready for that this morning. I wonder if that's what you thought was going to happen when you came to church this morning. But I believe that it is. And so as we get going this morning on God's Word, I just want to pray for us. So let's pray. Yeah, Father, we thank you for the good things that you are doing. We thank you that you are fighting our battles, that you are there working even when we don't see it and also when we do. And we pray today as we, uh, as we open your word, would you speak into our hearts? Would you break our hearts for the things of you? In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so this week we are on week two of a series we've been getting into called The Stories That Jesus Told. And uh, if you're new to the Christian faith, or even if you've been a Christian for a while, but you're going on this journey of discovering more about your faith, then one of the big questions that you're going to ask, probably the most amazing question you could ever ask, is who is Jesus? And today we're, we're going to be looking at that, that uh, question in essence, because one of the best places to turn to in the whole of Scripture, if you're asking the question, who is Jesus, is to the parables. And the parables are these stories that Jesus told. They're like picture stories. They're like the most amazing illustrations that you've, that you've ever kind of heard. They're kind of, they are like pictures, but in spoken word. And Jesus used these stories uh, to teach people. And essentially what he wanted to teach them was he wanted to impress upon their hearts something of God's heart. And that's what he wanted for his listeners. And guess what? This morning, you're going to be the listeners to one of Jesus' parables. And he wants to impress something of God's heart onto yours. And today we're going to be looking at a parable that I'm convinced that you will either know or that you will know about. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you've ever heard of the Samaritans, the amazing charity who, um, who are there for people just to talk, then you know something of the story of the Good Samaritan. 
If you've ever opened a newspaper, who opens a newspaper these days? If you've ever gone onto a news website or been watching the news and the journalist has talked about uh, a kind of an underdog story and someone who has helped someone in need, an unsung hero, they often get called a good Samaritan. If you've ever heard one of those stories, then you know something of the parable of the Good Samaritan already. You know, at my daughter's school, they even have an award, the Good Samaritan Award. And can I just be a proud dad here for a moment? So my daughter, she's, you know, we moved here in September. And um, it was a big move, a big move for us, but, um, but also for the kids, and they moved school. She's won that award twice. Isn't that great? In the last year, since September. So big up to her. Proud dad moment. Um, so even schools, they have these Good Samaritan Awards. We know this language. We know about the Good Samaritan. And the story, as you're going to see in a moment, because we're going to explore it, is uh, about this man, and he comes across someone who's been beaten up. He's in need, and he's on the floor. And this Good Samaritan, he comes along, and he takes care of him when others don't. And it's all about how we treat people who are in need. And actually, I said at the beginning that God wants, in these parables, Jesus was trying to impress upon us something of God's heart. And the thing of God's heart in this parable is that he is full of compassion. He is like brimming with compassion. I want to encourage you this morning as you've come into this place. This is the God who we worship. He's overflowing with compassion for you. And so this is the background of the story uh, of the Good Samaritan, which we're going to be getting into. But it also comes with a bit of a health warning because it's a parable where the rubber really hits the road. Because right at the end of the parable, as you're going to see, Jesus says to the people who are listening, see that Good Samaritan over there. See what he did. We'll go and do likewise. It's a personal story for us about going and reaching people in need. And it's tricky though, because I don't know if you've noticed, there's one of you and there's a whole lot of need in our world. It doesn't take long to walk down Fishgate here through Preston City Centre and it takes like, what, 10, 15 minutes, something like that, to get from the Minster over to the train station. And as you do that on one of the kind of amazing sunny days that we've been having recently, and the city centre is like bustling away. But as you go on your way, I can guarantee that you'll walk past probably at least 20 different homeless people. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of homelessness in our city. In fact, it's only the tip of the iceberg of the needs of people across our city, across our nation, and across our world. And you know, as I've been kind of preparing this talk, I feel like God's been breaking my heart. Because you're going to hear this parable in a minute, and it's a really hard parable to hear. Because there's just one of me, there's just one of you, and there's a whole lot of need out there. You know, there's a there's an amazing woman called Jackie Pullinger and uh, she works with drug addicts in the streets of Hong Kong and she's been doing that for decades since the 1960s and she's got this amazing book which I can recommend to you called Chasing the Dragon 
And in this book, she writes about how her heart was so broken by the needs of the world that she felt that she needed to respond to every single need that she came across. And it was just breaking her, so much so that she actually stopped reading the newspapers. She stopped listening to the, to the news stories because she felt if she heard about someone in need, she had to respond, just like the Good Samaritan did. So today, I want to look at this parable. I want to ask the question, how do we respond? How do Christians respond to the need that we see in the world when there's only one of us? And there's a whole lot of need out there. So we're going to get into this scripture. Um, I just want to give you a bit of context. Because the context of the story of the Good Samaritan is absolutely fascinating. Because it starts like maybe all the best things with a theological debate. And, uh, and this guy who is like, he's an expert in the law. So this is Jewish law. So he's an expert. And he comes up to Jesus and he says to him, Jesus, in fact, he calls him teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a big, that is a massive question, isn't it? What must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? And so straight away, this puts this whole parable, which we're going to look at, in the context of eternity and salvation. And Jesus, like he so often does, he doesn't answer the question directly. And he throws it back at this law expert. And he says, well, how do you read it? And he answers with this phrase. You may have heard it before. He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, everything. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. You've said the right things. And in fact, what he's done there, this law expert has stitched together two parts of Old Testament teaching. One about loving God with everything that we've got. And one about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And in fact, Jesus used this teaching himself on a regular basis as he was going around preaching to different people. He would say, love God with everything. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. In fact, he said, he went even further and he said, on this teaching hang all the law and the prophets. What does that mean? Well, he's basically saying this teaching underpins the whole of the Old Testament part of your Bible. It's kind of like a game of, of giant Jenga. You know the game with the wooden blocks and, and you stack them up and one at a time you take these blocks out. And eventually you get to one of the blocks and the whole tower teeters on this one thing. And if you're that unfortunate uh, soul who comes along and gets this last block, which is supporting everything else, you pull it out and the whole tower collapses. That's how important this teaching was for Jesus. He saw it as fundamental to the whole of the Bible. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'd, I'd go as far as to say that that is actually God's manifesto for living human life. It's how he wants us to live. I know it kind of sounds a bit cheesy, but imagine if all of us lived our lives like that. 
Imagine if everyone in this world lived their life loving Jesus fully, going for it for him and loving the neighbor as their soul. It'd transform everything, wouldn't it? You know, I was, I was, um, I was literally thinking about this stuff um, earlier this week. I was driving up, up Deepdale Road and I saw this, this road, raid in, road raid incident between like a pedestrian and, and a driver. And it was just ugly. There was no honor of people. There was no respect of people. There was no love for the other person. It was totally unnecessary. This stuff could be transformative. And I believe that's what God meant for human living. But then this law expert, he, uh, he realizes, well, that sounds great, doesn't it, all that stuff, but actually that's a little bit tricky. And so he says to Jesus, he asks him, because he wants to qualify something, he says, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's where the story of the Good Samaritan begins. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, um, we are in Luke 10. The words are going to come up on the screen as well. So we are in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read from verse 30. So in reply to this man, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Those four words at the end, go and do likewise. They're supposed to leave it hanging. Those words are supposed to be echoing around your head at the end of this story. Because this is what Jesus was saying. See that Samaritan. He is the neighbor. Go and do likewise. And so friends, how can we respond like the Samaritan did in a world which is full of need? Well, I want to give you a process for how we can respond to different needs that we see around us. And it's like a four-step process. And uh, my hope is it's something you can do super quickly, like in a few seconds, to kind of reflect on the situation that you see in front of you. But it also might be something that you do over a period of time. Or it might be something you use to go and reflect on after you've been involved maybe in a particular situation. And it's super practical. I want to make it super practical this morning. And there's four things. 
See it, feel it, hear it, and do it. So repeat after me. See it, feel it, hear it, and do it. So we're going to look at each of those in turn. The first one is see it. First of all, we, we need, I know it sounds, it sounds so simple, we literally need to see the need that is in front of us. And friends, I'm not talking about with, with your eyes. You're probably going to see quite a lot of need in front of you. There's a lot of stuff which is hidden, but there is stuff which you will see with your eyes, but actually with our hearts, we kind of switch off and we don't see it. You see, these two guys, the Levite and the priest, who pass by this man who is on the floor, I think they, they see the man there, but they purposefully decide to kind of turn away. They shut the eyes of their heart, as the Bible might call it. You know, in the book of Ephesians, Paul actually prays for the church in Ephesus. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He prays that the eyes of their hearts would be opened. And that's a massive prayer to pray. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. Because we all have blind spots, don't we? The big thing is that we don't want to be inconvenienced. And I think that was the thing for the priest and the Levite. They were off somewhere. They were probably in a hurry. They probably saw this guy and they were scared. They thought, well, that might happen to me as well. And that's really going to inconvenience me. And so they turn away and they walk on. You know, there's, a, there's a, a university in America called Princeton University, and it's got this theological seminary there, uh, which is basically a place where like, church leaders and pastors uh, get trained to go, and, to go and do their thing. And uh, they once did this fascinating study on something called the Good Samaritan Effect. So get this right, they took a whole load of students as an experiment and they kind of split the group into two. And uh, they told them all that they were going to have to go and do a presentation. And so the first cohort, the first half, they said, right, well you're going to go and you're going to give a presentation on your university chores. Pretty boring stuff. So you're going to go and do a presentation on chores. The other half they chose, they said, well you guys... You're going to go and you're going to give a short presentation on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here's the thing. They had these guys all in one room on one side of the university campus. They said, you need to go across the campus to the other side and you're going to, you're going to deliver your talk there. So uh, they're about to go on their way and then they told them, you're going to go one by one. And they told some of them as they went one by one, well, you're actually late for your presentation. So you've got to get over that side of the campus as quickly as possible so you can deliver this talk. And they told another half of the students, you've got to get over there fairly sharpish, but you've got, you've got a little bit of time to play with. Now, the sneaky professors at this university had done something quite cheeky, and I like it. They had got this actor... Um, to uh, basically halfway between to kind of bend over double, cough and groan like they were ill and they were struggling as the students went past. And so these students are sent one by one and all of them eventually come up to this actor who's kind of bent over double and he's like coughing away and he's, he's like screaming and crying and all that kind of stuff. Now you might expect that the ones 
who stopped were the ones who were giving a presentation on the Good Samaritan. That's what you'd expect in your mind. It's not actually what happened. What happened was that the ones who were in a hurry went straight past this actor as if he wasn't there. In fact, one of the guys who was giving a, a presentation on the Good Samaritan apparently physically walked over the top of this guy as if he wasn't there. But it was the people who weren't in a hurry, the people who had the time, who were the ones who predominantly stopped for the man who was struggling. See, this, this experiment means for us that we need to loosen our preoccupations with our own agendas, our own stuff, so that we can see the need around us. And it isn't easy. You know, it's this lady called Heidi Baker who's like this uh, Christian missionary in, uh, in Mozambique. And she works amongst some of the poorest and most destitute people in the world. And she's got this amazing phrase about how she lives her life. She says, I go low and I go slow. I go low and I go slow. I go low, that means Humility. That's talking about humbling yourself. Remember, being humble isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. So we humble ourselves. We go low. But we also go slow. What does go slow mean? Literally, slow down. Because when we slow down, friends, what we begin to see are the things around us. We kind of lose that tunnel vision. It's like when you're driving down the motorway. You're going down the M6. Maybe you're heading up towards Lancaster. And as you're driving, the stuff in your peripheral vision, you don't see it, do you? It's like flying by and you ignore it because you've got to concentrate on the road which is in front of you. But when you get into a traffic jam, when you get stuck, you're forced to slow down. And then you can begin to look around and see the things around you. So friends, if we want to respond to the need in the world first, we've got to see it. We've got to go low, go slow, open the eyes of our hearts. Second thing is that we've got to feel it. You know, your brain is actually hardwired towards compassion. You've got these neurons in your brain, which are like called mirror neurons, and they basically kick off when you see someone who is in distress, and you begin to feel that distress for them. Have you ever experienced that? It's called empathy. And actually, we're hardwired to it. But here's the thing. We can also turn that stuff off really easily. Maybe because of past experiences, past trauma, something we've seen. And we don't want to experience that again. So we stop feeling. And we turn off that bit of compassion. And we get a bit hard-hearted. And you know, I'm convinced that there's hard-heartedness going on in the priest and the Levite when they walk past this man in the story. And they go past him because they haven't got the same compassion they don't feel it like the good Samaritan does. You know, I, I used to work in this church which was in London, which was opposite a massive tube station, Finchley Road tube station it was, kind of quite a major hub. 
and uh, lots of people used to walk past the site each day and we'd have people come and like knock on our door and be after stuff from us almost on a daily basis and they were usually after money and, and we, didn't, we didn't actually give out money to people. We kept like a, a small stash of food. It was in the days just before food banks were getting started. So we used to give some people like some of the food that we had. But then we also had people who would occasionally come up to us and they would say, oh, I need to get to this or that destination. Would you give me some money for a tube ticket? And uh, most of the time we didn't respond, but sometimes we did when our hearts kind of had that nudge. And we would go across to the tube station and we'd physically buy someone a ticket and give it to them. And time after time, we saw this on several different occasions, the people we'd bought the ticket for would jump back over the barrier and we'd find them kind of selling on their ticket. And I'm not making a judgment on those people because to do that kind of thing, let's be honest, you've got to be desperate, don't you? But it made me a bit cynical. It made me a bit hard-hearted. And for those of us who are perhaps a bit, a bit older, that's what begins to happen, doesn't it? Because we begin to see a lot in the world. We begin to understand a lot more stuff. I just want to say to all of us, friends, we've got to guard our hearts really closely so that we don't lose that compassion. And you know, that was, that was happening to me and I was getting a bit cynical. But then one day this guy comes along to the church and he knocks on the door and uh, his name is Paul. And he told us this story. We spent a lot of time listening to people's stories. And he told me his story. And he, he'd been a shepherd um, and uh, back in the days of foot and mouth, he had lost his job, which had been many, many years before. That was the kind of late 90s. He had lost his job. He'd ended up homeless on the streets of London. And uh, he'd met this journalist out on the streets, and this journalist had, was interested in his story and said, would you tell your story on, on my radio station? And so Paul had like knocked on our door, basically just to use the phone. He told us his story and then he just said, can we, can we use your phone just to, can I use your phone, sorry, just to do this radio call? And so he did. And at first we were a little bit cynical about it. it sounds like a bit of a tall story. But we let him in. What did we have to lose? And he makes this phone call, does the interview, then off he goes. A few days later, we get a phone call from the radio station to us. And they were like, you know that guy, Paul, um, who spoke to us the other day? Can you get in contact with him? And somehow we managed to kind of get in contact with him. And someone had been listening to the show and had, and had offered him a job, shepherding, up in a farm on the north of England somewhere. And so Paul, he, we get the word to him and put these people in contact and off he goes. We don't see or hear from him from a bit. And then like three months later or a few months later, Paul comes back. He looks completely different. He's kind of dressed up. He come back to the church just to say thank you. A great thing to do. He now had this stable job and he was gone from this place of crisis to, to stability in his life. You know, when my heart gets hard, folks, and cynical, I think back, I make myself think back to Paul's story. Because I sometimes think, well, what if we hadn't given him the benefit of the doubt? 
What if we hadn't let him take that phone call that day? Even though we'd seen all these people in the past who, in a sense, had probably taken advantage of us, and I don't blame them for that. What if we thought that he was going to be like that? His story would have been so, so different. And I'm so glad we, we didn't turn him away. Friends, we've got to see the need. We've also got to feel the need in our hearts as well. And then the third thing is we've got to hear it. We've got to hear from God. And this bit's really important. You know, um, my bishop, before I got ordained, he said to me these words, which someone from our church actually reminded me of earlier this week. He said, just because there is a need doesn't mean there is a call. Just because there is a need doesn't mean there is a call. And this is where I want to tackle the question, well, what do we do in a world which is so full of need? Friends, there is so much need around you. We are immersed in it. You can't possibly deal with it all. But some of it, you will be able to meet. Some of it, you will be able to do what you can. And we've got to hear from God about that stuff. You know, in, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. He only did the things that he heard God saying. And sometimes he went to the multitudes and we see him healing many people, feeding 5,000 people. At other times though, he literally goes after the one. He has a conversation with one, even though there's loads of others around him. On, on one occasion, a place called the Pool of Bethesda, which was essentially like a, a first century hospital, he went and healed one man, even though there were many all around. It's because he heard and saw what his father was doing. I wonder if you know the people that God has called you to. I wonder if you know the places that God has called you to. We've got to see it, we've got to feel it, we've also got to hear it. You can't help everyone, but there are some that you may be able to help. And we try and live that out at the Minster here. So part of our story, uh, when the church plant arrived here three years ago, was to kind of get to know this city. And very quickly the team began to see the different needs which were, which were around in Preston but also saw that there were loads of incredible churches who were doing some fantastic stuff. There were people doing, doing food banks, there's people doing debt advice, um, there's people educating uh, children, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And we could have just jumped on board and done all those, kind of, all those different things and maybe spread ourselves thin, but we listened. I didn't, I wasn't there. These guys listened. Some of you guys listened as well. And off the back of that listening, we run the SPEAR program. It's a program for uh, young people and young adults who find themselves out of full-time education or full-time employment. And so that's our piece. That's where we play our part in the transformation of this city. It all came from hearing, looking around, talking to other people, seeing the different needs where they were covered and those where they weren't. 
And that was our journey with Spear. And I think that's the journey God wants us to have as well. And it comes with a bit of a warning. When it comes to hearing God and responding, you can use that as a cop-out. Oh, well, God hasn't spoken to me yet about helping this person over here who I see kind of just uh, kind of collapsed in the corner. If you see an emergency, you go and respond. But there's something about listening to God and where his call is. You know, Mother Teresa, when she got her Nobel Prize, Peace Prize, she said, it's not how much we do, but how much love we put into the actions that we do that is important. And so that brings me to the final part, and I close with this. So we see it, we feel it, we hear it, and finally we do it. We do this stuff. It sounds easy, but friends, when it comes to responding in need, it should feel deeply inconvenient to us. Take a look at the Good Samaritan. You know, I'm always fascinated when I read this passage. I always spot new bits. And this time as I was reading through, I spotted that the Samaritan doesn't just do first aid on the man on the floor. He literally puts him on his donkey. He walks him to the inn. He then stays overnight with him at his own expense. And then says to the innkeeper, when I come back next time, keep Keep a tab for me of the expenses you need to help this man, and I'll settle it. He goes above and beyond. He's deeply inconvenient to him, but he does what he can. And friends, this story is all about loving your neighbor. And in Jewish Christian thought, love has always been action first before feeling. We move with our hands, with our feet, and then the heart begins to follow, which is so different from our Western mindset, where we think the feeling has to come first before we act. But essentially, this whole parable, this whole story of the Good Samaritan is about loving God, loving your neighbor, and that means actions, not words. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.